arranged to be the agents of change To fight the power, to be the difference If you stand up for people speaking the truth You might be a change agent too Hey everybody, welcome to the Change Agents Comics and Social Issues Podcast, where we explore graphic novels that have something to say. Brought to you by Change Agents from Renegade Arts Entertainment, available now on Comixology. Fight the power, be the difference. I'm James Davidge, and I'm joined today by Karen Mills of the Alberta Advantage Podcast. Hello. Jason Memel of Sage Theatre and the Penciltown Podcast. Hello, everybody. And Stephanie Chan of Foam Armory and Smash Pages Comic News. Hello, everybody. Every episode, we discuss a notable work of comic literature while considering its artistic merit and its ability to address our social concerns. And today, we're talking about Harley Quinn Breaking Glass by Mariko Tamaki and Steve Pugh, published by DC Comics in 2019. I recall first encountering the character of Harley Quinn when she was introduced on the 90s Batman animated series, but she didn't really make a huge impact on me. She was finally brought into the comic book world with a cover memorably illustrated by the acclaimed Alex Ross that I do recall. Again, I was aware of her but not a big fan, even as her presence grew into her having her own series, a big deal for any character. But years later, I watched as my daughter became enamored with the character by wearing her Harley Quinn outfit to numerous Halloweens and fan expos. As well, my daughter was entertained by Harley Quinn's varied appearances in Suicide Squad, DC Superhero Girls, and the excellently hilarious Harley Quinn animated show. So now let's hear from our guests. Do you have any connection with or thoughts about Harley Quinn? Stephanie. Um, I, I first totally fell in love with Harley Quinn back on the Bruce Timm Batman animated series. And uh, so I was probably pretty, on, I was on board really early. I actually have one of those, those like animation character cell type things with her painted on it and signed by Bruce Tim and limited edition thing of a jiggers or whatever, nicely framed. Did you get it signed when he was, when he was in Calgary years ago? Uh, it was already, it came signed when I got oh, okay. it. So I thought it was kind of redundant to sign it twice. I don't know. Yeah. Um, might've been still cool to do it anyway, but whatever. Mm. Any, but, um, but I've always, I've always liked that. She was like a little bit wacky and a little bit edgy and her character design is like top notch. Like, I think that's one of the coolest things about her, honestly, is just her aesthetics. Um, and then over the years, I was kind of, you know, I like some of her comic appearances when she got introduced into the DC universe. And some of it was a little bit lame, to be honest. Um, and uh, some of it's kind of questionable all along kind of thing, like her relationship with the Joker. But um, that new Harley Quinn animated series it is so good. I am blown away at how good the, um, they've they've reimagined this character and uh, really given her like like a real oomph, uh, like and a real voice kind of thing. 
Um, as an aside, I forgot, I should have mentioned too, their live action, uh, Mar- Margot Robbie, like totally owns the character too. So like, so I'm pretty much, I, I do, I follow Harlequin quite a bit. I'm a little more picky with her comic appearances because I find they use her a lot and each writer has a different take on her. But um, I, I am, I am, I am very impressed with that, that new animated series, especially. Yeah, cool. Karen, any thoughts on Harley Quinn? Uh, yeah, similar to what folks are saying, I find the screen adaptations more compelling, perhaps because she originated in a TV show and subsequent shows and movies have been pretty good other than the Suicide Squad movie, which I guess was necessary for <laughs> later adaptations with uh, with Margaret Robbie. But uh, yeah, um, like yourself, James, I, it wasn't a uh, character I was super drawn to, even though she was always kind of around. So I uh, was looking forward to reading this book and learning about more about her. All right, thanks. Jason. Um, again, yeah, I, I think I remember he, I remember the character when the uh, in the animated series, and it was possibly the most animated of the animated characters, if that makes sense. Like it was you can tell that that's where where the character started because it's got such this is like incredible life and energy to it. Um, uh, and I, again, like I think everybody's been saying, it's translation, the character's translation from uh, from the animated series to comics is I think bumpy because something that like lived in its one particular universe with one particular theme and then moving into this like slow moving morphing process of uh, storytelling that happens in comics um, means that the character is like uh, a lot of what makes it so special starts to kind of become uh the more hands that play with the character, if that makes sense, the less, the less uh, consistency or the less, um, uh, uh, the less of that particular virtue, virtue of the voice tends, uh, starts to disappear. Um, again, I think until Margot Robbie really owned the character and brought it to a public consciousness for which I think, like, I think a lot of us knew who Harley Quinn was before um, uh, uh, because of the animated series, but everybody knows who Harley, Harley Quinn is now because of, uh, I think, Margot Robbie and, and her uh, movie versions of it. Um, so, yeah. And I think, like, I've always, I think one of the things, there has always been this, this question of, like, the somewhat problematic nature of Harley Quinn, which we might get into. But I think uh, the, the thing about that character is I think she's always been so compelling because of how involved and engaged she is in all the things that she's doing, um, which is, I think, probably that, that one core piece that's landed all the way across you know that's the uh like harley quinn isn't somebody who who uh um uh like goes internal and doesn't doesn't uh, make a lot of choices she's always forward moving and i think that's a that's been the thing that i've always found exciting and engaging by the character all right thank you and yes um she definitely moves forward in this uh in this book we're talking about today so um i will get into the summary uh there will be spoilers so this is your spoiler warning and so Harley Quinn Breaking Glass is part of DC's growing line of young adult graphic novels that often feature younger reimagined versions of DC female characters. After leaving her mother to live with her grandmother, Harley finds out her dead grandma, her grandma is dead. Her dear grandma is dead. Instead of being turned into child services, Harley lives in her grandmother's rundown apartment above a karaoke cabaret owned by a drag queen named Mama. Harley sees Mama as her only family, so when the cabaret becomes the next victim 
In the wave of gentrification that's taking over the neighborhood, Harley gets mad. It is then that Harley must decide how to turn her anger into action by either joining Ivy, who's campaigning to make the neighborhood a better place to live, or the Joker, who plans to take down Gotham one corporation at a time, often by using explosives. Harley and Ivy protest the non-inclusive content of their high school film club and find themselves in conflict with John Kane, a wealthy student who is eventually revealed to be the Joker. Harley thwarts the Joker's attempts to blow up Ivy's favorite community garden. Harley is charged with planting the bomb, while John Kane's wealth aids in his release. Harley escapes from prison, but not before it's revealed that a young Bruce Wayne had been keeping his eye on the activists and was prepared to provide an expensive lawyer for Harley's defense. The story ends with Harley Quinn, now on the run from the law, spray painting her tag over the Jokers. And so I, I, now I just want to ask our guests, what about the story stood out to you? We'll start with Stephanie. The very, very first thing I noticed was the colors in the, the book. Um, mm -hmm. It starts in a monotone, um, uh, monochromatic, I should say, monochromatic, uh, the sort of bluey, gray, gray colors. And um, and they kind of like like when when they introduce her, Harleen as Harleen, and yeah. uh, just kind of her daily life and and things that are happening. But then as the story progresses, every now and then there's like a splash of red all of a sudden that really contrasts. And um, as as she descends down into more uh, questionable decisions and uh, legally uh, or morally. Uh, questionable moments and things like that more and more colors added and when and there's actually not I don't think there was any green up until Joker appears even and for Joker's hair for example so there's a lot of very particular spot color choices that happens and and then even when it goes back to her daily life later in the book there's now two tones it's not just it's a dual tone now it's not just the blue colors it's blue with some warmth to it and uh, other things that happen. And depending on, on what's happening in the pages, more, co more color again is added. And uh, that, that story progression with the color and using spot color to highlight certain moments, uh, I thought was brilliant. Like when, yeah, especially using solid red when she first, used, they first show her using the bat. I thought that was like, that was like, uh, that was very powerful. It made it much more powerful, much more punchy. Um, as, uh, aside from that, because this is a reimagining of Harley Quinn, something else that that, uh, that 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 really stood out in the story for me. Now moving on to the story um, was how um, it's a completely different take. She's younger. She's no. She's not the. Uh, she's not a psychologist like she is in the the uh, traditional version of Harley Quinn or the original version, and uh, and even in the way that she meets Joker, and then she's not enamored by joker in the same way uh, yeah. as 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 she was so it is a very very different take but still managing to keep a lot of key elements of her personality in in the character yeah very cool yeah i like how you uh leave it to the colorist to find the uh the, the uh, color element to the story there yeah. awesome uh jason what about the story stood out to you 
Um, I think that maybe maybe this is me getting old, but uh, I was struck by how thoroughly modern it was. <laughs> um, uh, the it could uh, you could tell this is very much a book that's coming out very like in the now, like or at least I'm not exactly sure when it was released, but um, twenty nineteen. Uh, 2019 okay yeah. yeah so it's like definitely within the current zeitgeist of like um like the fact that that uh harley's uh harley's friends are doing a drag show you know um uh and the 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 language the characters are using you know like it all feels very very contemporary um uh which i thought was very striking and in some respects that like some of the things that maybe i would expect from a more serious or a more distanced narrative style where um where i'm where they're trying to make me believe what's happening this felt more like it was um uh almost like a drag show in the sense of it was like it's more about the going to the extremities of the emotions of the, that the characters are having so i wasn't um how do i put it i wasn't buying it as reality but i was buying it as a as a like a um a very engaged uh uh exploration of the of the directions that those characters are going you know um and like so it, it all felt a little over the top but in a very intentional way like it wasn't it wasn't accidentally melodramatic <laughs> um uh which i thought which i enjoyed it was like a, a very different tone from especially from uh, superhero comics which can be i think melodramatic in a bad way where they don't earn it um and they don't really know how to pull it off um uh, and I think uh, one of the other things that stood out to me is that this is a depiction that is like, I, again, we might get into this later, but the Harley character has often been sexualized and is, has, has had problematic sexual qualities attached to her and how this story more or less ignored a lot of that and ignored sexualizing the character. Um, at least mostly, I think that was impressive, I think, uh, because I would guess that that there would be some market pressure for the book to do that. Um, so that stood out to me as well. And um, uh, what else was I going to mention? Oh, I think that also, frankly, uh, the book felt like in its connection to the source material of like the DC universe and the, and the cartoon and the movies, all of that stuff felt very much like a, almost like an Elseworld story where um, this is like, uh, this isn't meant for me to think about like, oh, Ivy's going to become Poison Ivy. She's going to have a superhero origin and Bruce Wayne's going to like, we might be seeing a Bruce Wayne that never becomes Batman, you know, in this story, which is interesting. Um, and that like, yeah, maybe Harley is putting on a costume near the end and doing some, some crazy stuff, but it doesn't look like it's going into a universe in which people regularly jump off of rooftops. Um, and that stood out to me too. All of those felt like pretty surprisingly brave choices for a character that, uh, you'd expect to be represented the opposite of all of those choices. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for uh, sharing all those thoughts. Karen, what about uh, the story yeah. stood out to you? Sure. Just uh, building on what Jason was saying, I saw it described in a discussion group. I was um, posting about it, that it's a high school AU. So that's alternate universe. So I think that's a perfect take to describe it because it's, it's kind of lightly touching on it when it needs to from kind of the bat universe or the DC universe and yeah, taking what it needs, but that's not very much. I, I had to look up to see if the, the villain character, John Kane was another character in the DCU. And I don't think so. It seems to be a, a reference to uh, Bob Kane, who was the creator. Um, 
you can correct me if he's he's just a... well, well um that that for sure but also uh kathy kane is batwoman right and, right um, so yes. which is another wealthy family like bruce's wealthy cousins so of course yeah so, so those... it could it could it's that's all connected i think though Absolutely. so those those names are around but he they they could have easily pulled in you know dozens of other characters or have yeah. that that rich guy character be someone you already know so i thought it was interesting yeah. that they just kind of did amalgamations as they needed as well um yeah so that that stood out to me of um really trusting the audience to just go along with this story and if if a familiar element pops up here and there then that's good and fun but it's like mostly its own world uh, so I did enjoy that. Uh, I did find that it was not as fun as I thought it might be. <laughs> so that's like a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if that's a criticism or just like a um, something that I was not expecting. Because as, as Jason said, again, the tone is is more serious and deep than than I, I maybe I'm not giving like high school students and teenagers enough credit these days because it's there's a lot of like internet culture and like contemporary issues here that I'm like if I was in high school I'd be like what is all this stuff but maybe maybe people today can recognize that a little bit better but um yeah so that's and I, I was always waiting for the moment for Harley to kind of just like break out or or just snap or something and I guess the closest they come is uh Stephanie discussed the when she picks up the bat and smashes the window and then when she j breaks out of jail you're kind of like oh yeah go but she she's put in a lot of situations where she could make like what would be for the reader I think like a poor moral decision and choose not to do that so again that's might not be the character you recognize from other media where she kind of skirts the line on being like a sympathetic villain or just like a chaotic villain but here I don't think she's really a villain so uh yeah so very interesting um original take for sure yeah thanks everyone and just to jump on uh kind of what karen and, and jason were, were alluding to about kind of the seriousness of the themes that's in many ways why i i felt this was a fitting uh, graphic novel to explore during our for our series here because um i was sort of taken aback uh similarly like like that this wasn't kind of uh, a pow bam bop type of um uh batman story but this was uh, a look at what I guess in many ways what teenagers are are starting to grapple with, with more so so how they're becoming more aware of social issues how those social issues can uh, filter into a simple thing as film club topics um, this is in my from my observation very real to what is happening uh, with our youth right now uh, and how they advocate for themselves and I think even it's interesting that this came out in 2019 I think uh, kind of what they were um, protesting around the film club and getting different content in um and i think they were taking it from a feminine point of view it certainly uh can uh you know after black lives matter has become a bigger thing these are very big topics that we are uh, i know as educators are taking on more seriously and um, um i just want to interject oh, yeah, yeah, real quick sure. uh, on you your bet. point there about the current topics and things um mm -hmm. also ivy being an environmentalist yeah and uh that that was like that was probably at the height of us getting to know Greta. Yes. Greta Thornburg too. Yeah. So I like, I just thought all those themes are perfect for the, for that age group at that time, for sure. Yeah. And then back to what Karen was talking about, the, the John King character, the decision to make um, kind of your, your anarchist, ultimately just a wealthy 
a wealthy rich kid that's you know like that has you know curious motivations i mean i thought that was very interesting and um and and, and it as uh people have commented this isn't necessarily one of these reimaginings where suddenly you think this is now the harley quinn of the dc universe it's going to be interesting to see if this novel series continues um you know i know that dc really rallied behind this one if i'm not mistaken this was um a graphic novel that dc actually uh did movie trailers for uh they really it, it was yeah i'd have to they really um got behind this one because it had this um you know uh Mariko Tamaki, who's who's his breakout uh, author, um, and uh, I think they had something really exciting. They felt they had something exciting going with it, so it'll be interesting to see if it, if this universe continues because uh, there are so many different Harley Quinn universes right now that uh, that that's interesting to think about. But um, um, so uh, yeah, and so like I say, I found just the, just just the way they kind of had Ivy as the environmentalist, and then Joker John Kane as this kind of rich kid anarchist uh i thought that was very interesting ways to explore those themes um and, and one that i think you know would would connect to youth in a, in a different way or a unique way so let's jump into the art um what about the art stood out to you we've already heard a little bit about color and and and, and story as, as stephanie pointed out but jason do you have any uh, thoughts about the art yeah, I'm even just kind of looking at it now while we're talking. And um, the uh, one of the things I really noticed was the amount, um, the the acting, for lack of a better word, in the uh, in the illustration, like the way the characters are, are represented. Uh, I got a very clear image of the um, of the mood and tone of the character based on their body language, their facial expression, um, which. Uh, it's not, that sounds obvious, but it's something that in a lot of comics doesn't happen. Like where an artist maybe has like, like sort of seven faces they draw and like, you know, <laughs> four, four general postures. Um, uh, well, and you know, actually I take that back. Actually, I think comic art's going through a real renaissance of really great stuff these days, but, um, but either way, I definitely felt like I could get a, a solid sense of, of the character and even the mood and tone of the story through the art, um, like I said, through the through the acting of the characters, um, which which is all art. And then um, uh, what Stephanie was saying there about color, about just how much a muted, um, almost monochromatic general style allows you to make some really interesting choices. Uh, that versus it being, say, a full color book or a full black and white book. Um, yeah, I was really inspired actually to see. To see what that um, muted muted element allows for when you decide to break out of it, uh, so I think yeah, the the that's my take on the art. Cool, Aaron, thoughts on the art? Uh, yeah, it's interesting that um, Alex Ross was already mentioned at the beginning because of all the <laughs> the comic artists that are, I guess kind of like the most prominent comic artists in the last you know fifty years or whatever that that would be a close comparison. I, I know a lot of folks. Um, doing comic art these days do try for that painterly style. It's been very influential, but to me, this is very much in that tradition. And um, as Jason said, the emotions worked really well, like the thinking back to reading it um, a couple of hours ago, like the, the scenes that stood out to me are just like the more quiet moments where they're, um, you know, Mama is being comforted by Harley and things. And that, that would like resonate with me, I think, like going forward of like, I would recommend this book for those reasons just to to look at that and 
say like this is how you depict characters who seem like pretty shallow or cartoonish you can they don't have to be deep to have like deep emotions so all right thank you stephanie more thoughts um, on the art yeah so i was thinking about why i mentioned the color in the storytelling versus the art part because that part to me the story was largely told because of the way it was colored um so i won't get much more into that because i already kind of covered it a lot earlier yeah. but um something i'm very not used to is seeing harley quinn drawn realistically mm -hmm. like um and she's always been like well from the paul dini bruce tim days very like animated cartoon obviously just because of that particular style but even even when she was introduced into dcu there's always a very cartoony element to her um um as each artist interpreted her uh but and but then in this book it was it was this, this is a very realistically drawn like like people and um as as the others mentioned before but they have still man managed to be incredibly expressive with body language and facial expressions and uh, that actually honestly super impressed me because that's not always the easiest thing to convey uh when you're doing realistic drawings too yeah like i like how karen uh kind of referenced alex ross there because there is something realistic about this but i think we've all pointed out there's a there's a personality to the way uh steve Pugh has drawn these characters like there's that it's not cartoony because every panel is realistic but it's um they're they're just really expressive and they feel alive and um yeah and it's it, 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 I, I think it's one of the most amazing i definitely think it's one of steve Pugh's best art i've ever seen he's he probably had more time to do this than some of his more monthly work um he got a start doing the well not a start but one of his big ones was the flintstones um which which uh which is an interesting series but um yeah uh okay great thoughts there so now well yeah so i just checked out a uh, similar work so i'll you know so you, so first one i'll put out there is uh is the flintstones with uh, mark russell and steve Pugh, which is another surprisingly political series um that uh that steve Pugh's connected himself with um so i'll check that out as a similar work um karen do you have any similar works that you could suggest okay well we mentioned from the top that a couple of us are maybe not the most familiar with harley quinn or like not um super familiar with all the works even though there's a lot <laughs> to take in these days uh but so i i went on a little quest of like what's uh what more has been done with this character recently. And this this is more like not exactly recommendations since I haven't read them yet, but uh, there's there's some interesting looking uh, things. There's one called Harleen, which is uh oh yeah. Oh, who is the artist? It's uh I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this one, but Steph Steph Jen Sirik, who I think he did the comic Sunstone, which is an um adult kind of drama romance. So that would be a def definitely a different place coming from that world to to take on this character and i think um just based on based on my personal taste it might be a little bit more like uh um like edgy i guess i'm not, not my tastes are super edgy but um compared to uh something that kind of hands in harley it's definitely so. more mature and it actually plays on harley's uh psychiatry background yeah very interesting in a, in a, in a, in a very in a very good way yeah because they kind of just um I, I mean, I think 
this the the book that we read shows that you don't necessarily need that to have the essence of the character but you can certainly have that as an option for storytelling as well so that would be mm -hmm. quite interesting and um i also have uh picked up a couple of the there's like prose books that are kind of aimed at the same same audience that was like uh dc icons so oh. i think the female characters so far are black canary wonder woman and Catwoman, but I wouldn't be surprised if they had a Harlequin in the works if these books continued to sell well because the format seems very uh, fitted to it, where it's like a basically a young adult story and kind of they're they may not be in high school, but they're kind of like younger and the the stories are meant to to reference uh, that same market. So um, yeah, think things I didn't think about reading. So that's <laughs> all I got uh, today. But cool. Cool. Yeah, um, that Harleen one is a that's an interesting one. I picked it up and it's and it's that, that, that's a good creator. Oh, um, good to hear. Okay, uh, Stephanie. Okay, well, real quick, um, on the um, the icon books that Karen had just mentioned, I just I just use my audible credits on those. I haven't started oh. them yet. <laughs> oh, good just, audible credit recommendations. Yeah, so I just realized. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So um, we'll see. It looks like, like I think I'll probably start with Black Canary. It looks like she's like a singer kind of thing, and it goes mm. goes like that way instead. Um, but the 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 one thing that really stood out in my head to absolutely recommend, honestly, is. Um, Let's see. Um, actually, we'll start here. If you want to see a good early appearance of Harley Quinn in the comics, there was a, there was a one shot special called Mad Love um, mm. that DC put out way back when. And mm. that was a really sweet little kind of a introduction, almost an introduction to Harley, to the DC universe kind of thing. Like she actually had like a little solo story um, and it was kind of fun. And um, it's a good way to see how she was handled back then. And um, and I don't know. I just, I, that was just, that, that one's a little bit of a, a sword I want to use. Like, like I don't know. I, I, I read that really early on, right? So that is one of those like nostalgic things for me. But, um, but fast forward to something way more recent. And I honestly, I have not recommended a show more than this in a, in a little while is the Harley Quinn cartoon series. That's I actually- awesome. Oh my gosh, it is so progressive. Like, um, mm -hmm. if you want to see Harley Quinn actually address her problematic past that has been mentioned, as we've alluded to many times in this podcast, and uh, everyone knows, like, oh, they, they see her relationship as toxic with the Joker and things like that. They, they, they head on address that, but they still manage to make this show outrageously funny, mm -hmm. um, which, um, which I think is a little bit of a feat. And I, of uh, all the interpretations of Harley Quinn, like this was probably the most enjoyable. And I haven't laughed. I don't usually laugh out loud at a lot of shows. This one I was actually laughing out loud at. Oh yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. It makes me think of Ricky and Morty, but as you say, with this uh, very genuine relationship uh, exploration or character exploration of Harley and all the people around her. Oh yeah, and the, yeah. the supporting cast is, is just top notch. The way yeah. they, they interpret each of the, the Batman's rogues gallery is is phenomenal and like like even like Lex Luthor appears and uh and and Aqu the Aquaman the version of Aquaman and he's like a surfer dude kind of cool yeah. guy almost yeah it's just like it's just some it's just it's different and you don't see it coming and um yeah. 
And honestly, that show spoiled how the King Shark interpretation was in the Suicide Squad 2 movie for me. Yeah. Because King Shark in the cartoon, he's this hacker dude. And he, he's pretty smart um, and, uh, and and pretty dynamic as opposed to kind of like the Sylvester Stallone big lug. They're, they're building to that, Stephanie. Make no mistake. They're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> as always, cartoons are way ahead of real life. All right. That's great. Uh, Jason, any similar works to suggest? They don't have to involve Harley Quinn. <laughs> uh well and i yeah i don't think i i don't know enough of those works to be able to to uh to really make any good offers there i was actually thinking maybe going more in the um in the direction of the high school thing um yeah. when we did superman smashes the clan uh i then watched a talk that uh, gene uh luen yang gave about dragon hoops uh his newest oh, yeah. book i think um which is him growing up and uh uh getting into basketball um and uh and that that again is living in the high school realm um uh so i would say similar works in the sense of it's living in that same sort of the that high school environment um and then i was also going to say i haven't read it but it's on my like to read list what's it called um uh just by the same author and her cousin um this one summer uh mariko And Jillian uh, Tamaki both uh, put that book out, and that was, I think, in 2014. I haven't read it. It's on my list. I don't know if it's similar works, but it's, you know, (laughs) there's a chain of association there. Oh, yeah. No, and it's, well, it's similar, and it's certainly how part of how uh, Mariko Tamaki was starting to uh, find her voice as far as how she can characterize uh, young young people. Mm -hmm. And uh, and even before that, I still remember uh, picking up her first one, uh, Skim. Which is uh, which is a pretty serious high school topic type uh, graphic novel, um, mm. and um, and then uh, Jason, did you have any others, or I've got one more? Nope, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the only other one I was going to throw out there is another one by um, uh, Mariko T- Tamaki, uh, which is Being Super, uh, which is her. Uh, uh, it was a four issue limited series she did about Supergirl, that I think in many ways. Um, was her cutting her teeth before she took on uh, uh, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass. And she's working on Detective Comics. I haven't checked it out yet, but I hear um, she's doing great on that series. And she's the first uh, full-time female writer uh, to ever write for Detective Comics. So it's been exciting to see her uh, create cool work. Um, And Flintstones. Check out the Flintstones uh, with the art of Steve Pugh. Um, All right. Uh, thanks everyone for all that. Uh, now I just want to hear from uh, all of you. Um, anything else to share, Stephanie? You've been oh, busy where do I start? I know. I have literally not been home for a solid week since September, something like that. Like a week in Calgary, I don't think. Um, yeah, I took foam armory on the road. We went to um, Toronto. And uh, we did uh, Calgary, I mean, Calgary, I mean, uh, Fan Expo Canada there. Um, that was a great show. Um, I finally got to meet Adam Savage in person. And, um, and then like, we, we kind of hung out and had dinner with uh, Ben and a few other people. And then, um, and then after that, uh, I went down to Denver and uh, did the Fan Expo Denver down there. Um, that show was, was quite phenomenal. There, um, yeah, apparently the armor we had there was armor knitting parties in the in the front yard i guess in front of this the, the convention center so i and we almost sold out a product 
Um, so, so that was, that was like super exciting. And I was, I was completely mind blown at the reception there. So, so thank you. Thank you, Toronto and Denver for the great experience. Cool. Uh, Jason. Uh, not too much to mention right now. There's a lot of projects that are developing, but, uh, not enough to be able to say, uh, to say, Hey, check this out yet. Um, uh, there was maybe one thing I did want to go back to on this story, if that's oh, okay. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, because yeah. the, the, I think the one thing about the story that I felt like I wished I got something different from is, uh, like, I think when you mentioned that, uh, turns out that the Joker is, is just the, the same antagonist as their high school, um, uh, movie club uh, villain is that I think that was the one thing where I, I was wishing for something more interesting um, uh, from the Joker, almost the same way that uh, like Bane in the Dark Knight Rises movie was really interesting right up until he became a henchman. Um, uh, like I was interested in the idea of a villain that's like, or maybe like if not a villain, somebody who's just going much further than the hero is ready to go uh, in terms of changing situations like um in that almost like a the way in v for vendetta you might be like questioning uh v's um uh tactics even if you maybe agree with his goals um uh and then so for it to just turn out that it's maybe like this kind of nihilistic rich kid i was like "Mm, i'm less interested you know right uh so that was just a reaction i had while i was reading it that i felt like i wished had gone differently but um Oh yeah, yeah. I, I definitely can see that point of view. I, it, part of me wonders. I, I still find that that to be an interesting choice uh, to reflect on. Kind of, I guess maybe one of the true roots of anarchism. Uh, mm. You know, and you know, is there is there is there is there an, an authentic root to it or not? Uh, I think there is, but I think it was still an interesting choice. And uh, to bring things full circle. Yeah, jump in, jump in. I have another recommendation if we're going in that direction. So um, this is from another series that I think we've all watched. I'm making some assumptions here, but uh, The Legend of Korra. Uh, So there's a great there's a great video series um, on YouTube called um, The Politics of the Legend of Korra. The the host or the video creator is the username is Kay and Skittles. But um, as you watch through, there's also comparisons to like villains like Killmonger, you can think of like the Batman problem where it's like, okay, is Batman really fixing things by like being a rich dude and fighting all these like mentally ill criminals and things? So there's like obviously problems with like all these archetypes that are invented in like, you know, the 20s and 30s that we're still using to tell stories or even things that people came up with in the in the 90s where there's still um, less kind of acceptance or understanding of mental health uh, issues. Uh, so that's that's my recommendation there. And I mean, like, anarchism for sure is like a political tradition that's often misunderstood by Hollywood or kind of mainstream political thought, especially in the United States. So we definitely want to give it its credit, but also, you know, fairly understand um, some of the complex problems and drawbacks as well. All right, good thoughts. All right, Jason, to touch on your comment on uh, Bane and the Dark Knight Returns, um, I personally think that that is fully explained better if you do see how uh, Bane is represented in uh, Harley Quinn, the animated series, because that's one of the best uh, villain interpretations ever uh, that, that I'm seeing is making Stephanie laugh. So uh, check it out, folks. You won't forget it. Um, 
Okay, now uh, don't. I just want to give Karen one more chance. You can share anything. You can share any okay, thoughts. Than... <laughs> any thoughts Politi- on anarchism? Political. Political. Yeah, no, share it. That, that's why I'm we're here an, for it. I'm not an anarchist, <laughs> <laughs> but they should be fairly represented, like I said. Yes. Uh, so yes, other other than YouTube series of cartoons, but we we like that here. Uh, yep. Yeah. So um, other political projects I'm involved in. Uh, Alberta Advantage continues. Um, we have recent episodes on the post-war CCF and ideology, so those are fun. We also recently sent out hats to our supporters on Patreon. Uh, so if you check out the Twitter feed, you can see our lovely union hats. Um, we were not unionized, but we support unions and interview unions and so on. So we definitely want to pay our union twos, as it says in the hat. And we're also looking to have uh, clothing coming soon, maybe a Christmas pop-up or something like that. Oh, definitely interesting. Definitely want to get uh, in on the, on the merch side. Alberta Advantage swag. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. All well, we right. do send our, our supporters things, but we haven't actually done clothing yet. We've done like tote bags, uh, like patches and pins, um, just hats. But uh, yeah, this is this is a step up in the in the like merchandising world. So we, <laughs> we will see. Exciting. Always yeah, exciting yeah. when our local socialist podcast gets into marketing. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not ironic at all. <laughs> That's great. Hey, it all it all comes together. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much, everyone. And it truly is. It's great to have all three of you back after uh, Karen and I went uh, mm-hmm. w- 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 went w- did our last one. Uh, we had an went excellent to conversation. Town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Went to town on Zoom. Um, but so great to have everyone back. And um, and uh, yeah, that was awesome. So. All right, folks, as we come to a close, I will mention one more time that this podcast is brought to you by Change Agents from Renegade Art Entertainment that's available now on Comixology. Written by me, James Davidge, and illustrated by Nick Johnson, the Change Agents feature a universe of superheroes that explore our social contract. Tune into our next episode where we'll discuss Pass Me By, Electric Vice, by Kyle Simmers and Ryan Danny Owen. Should be a great conversation. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye. If you stand up for people speaking the truth, you might be a change agent too.